Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. And thanks, as always, to Trample by Turtles for donating the song Midnight on the Interstate uh, when I started this podcast. Wow, a couple summers ago now, um, I I texted uh, Dave Simonette, the lead singer of the group, and asked if he'd uh, be willing to donate my favorite song or one of my favorite Trample by Turtles songs to the podcast. And he very very generously did so. Thanks to Dave. Uh, My guest today, Darby Hendrickson, the longtime Minnesota Wild assistant coach, Already in his 12th season, either as the eye in the sky or behind the bench. Now he's on Dean Evison's bench, but he was on Mike Yo's bench, Bruce Boudreaux's bench. Um, no matter the GM, the coach, even the owner, they see the value in Darby and uh, and uh, continually retain him. So thanks to Darby for joining uh, just a real fun podcast as we uh, look back and continue our series uh, celebrating the 20-year anniversary of the Minnesota Wild. Darby, first home goal in Minnesota Wild history. Former Minnesota Mr. Hockey, former Gophers great, as we joke on the podcast. Former Toronto Maple Leafs, great. Uh, we look back and take a, a trip down memory lane, talking about the 2003 series that brought them, uh, or multiple series that brought them to the Western Conference Final. But we really focus on that Vancouver Canucks series where Darby played such a uh, pivotal role. He tells some great stories about that series, and of course, he scored the game-winning goal in Game Seven. Uh, we talk about his old teammate Sergei Joltak and just how much he still means to him. Uh, uh, the late Sergei Joltak, how much he means to Darby uh, still to this day and uh, is so instrumental in his life and helped shape his life as well and, and his family's life. Um, we compare and contrast Kaprizov and Fiala to Marion Gabrick, his former teammate. We talk about the guy that currently wears uh, uh, Darby's old number 14 in a Minnesota Wild uniform, the maturation and development of a Yule Eriksson Eck. We talk about Capo uh, Kakinen, the, the uh, power play, which I know a lot of Wild fans emailed me or tweeted me to ask him about. So we talk about all that type of stuff. And of course, we talk about the Hendricks Foundation and just what um, you know the the legacy of the late Larry Hendrickson, Darby's dad, and just what that um, you know what what Larry meant to him, and obviously to an incredible foundation that does so much good here in the Twin Cities and nationwide. Um, as far as the Minnesota Wild, they're on a bit of a you know skid right now. They they obviously had a big shutout win over the Vegas Golden Knights uh, um, uh, last night, but they are two two and one in their last five games since winning six in a row, uh, and then losing uh, their two games in Vegas and then splitting in Arizona, but a big bounce back win uh, last night. And they've put themselves in a position where if they could continue playing well on this homestand and get another big win over Vegas on Wednesday night, uh, they have 
have a chance against a Darcy Kemperless Arizona Coyotes team to really, uh, you know, go on a bit of a run here again and, and start back up and continue to climb up the West Division standings. Um, it's been an interesting time for the Wild, obviously, since our last podcast. We talked about it on the last podcast, but Zach Parisi was scratched. Um, he came back in the lineup against Vegas, played much, much better uh, last night and has had a couple good games in a row. So starting to look a little bit more like Zach Parisi. We've seen Capo Kakinen continue his red hot plays now 10 and 4. He's won seven games in a row. And I did a big story in The Athletic today about just how, uh, you know, he really sounds and, and looks like a, a young Nicholas Backstrom uh, when he first started in the Minnesota Wild uniform. Um, Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zugrello continue to have great chemistry, and uh, but their power play continues to really be in a lousy state. And as I talked to Darby about, he gives his reasons uh, why he thinks that is. Um, and we talk about, you know, just how impressed I am that Dean Evison hasn't erupted on one of the media members yet. And as we ask uh, day after day after day about the Wilds power play that is at historically uh, bad levels. But, uh, you know, right now the Wild uh, four games left on this homestand. Then they go on the road again to Denver and then come back and play Anaheim and St. Louis are in a stretch where they play 10 games in 18 days. It's a pretty crazy schedule right now as they uh, as this condensed 56 game season is at the midway point. But without further ado, one of my favorite people, Darby Hendrickson, the Wild assistant coach. And as mentioned, a very warm welcome to Darby Hendrickson, the former Minnesota Mr. Hockey. I think he was the sixth or seventh Mr. Hockey, right, uh, after uh, Joe Diedzik, uh, former Gophers great. Current Minnesota Wild assistant coach has been with the Wild for a long, long time. Uh, but most importantly, former Toronto Maple Leafs great, Darby Hendrickson. How are you, Darby? Uh, Michael, doing great. How are you doing? Very good, very good. We were just talking uh, before with our producer Jeff that uh, you were number sixteen with the Maple Leafs, and uh, uh, I know a lot of people at the Athletic, uh, big time Maple Leafs fans. Uh, we were really excited about you coming on today. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I um no, I, that's where I started my career, Toronto, um, and it goes back a lot of years ago as time flies, and being here in Minnesota, back home. But I um I had great memories. Um, you know, one of my first coaches ever was Pat Burns. Um, I started in their affiliate in St. John's, Newfoundland, which is a whole nother place on the globe, but it was a great experience. The people were awesome. Um, and, um, I, I remember my, my, my Maple Leaf days to be part of original six to be in the old Maple Leaf, uh, gardens was incredible. Uh, our captain was, was Doug Gilmore. Uh, we had Wendell Clark. It, it was amazing. There were so many hall of famers. Matt Sundin would come in, Dave Andrichuk, Mike Gartner. Um, so when you broke in, when you were younger, it was, uh, you probably weren't going to be on the top line and on the power play, but it was a, it was a great experience and a great city, and uh, I loved it. I mean, one of the cool parts of your career, Darby, is you got to play in multiple hockey markets. I mean, you go to Vancouver, you come to Minnesota, you come to Colorado. Uh, you experienced uh, you know rabid fan bases, uh, intense media pressure. I bet Minnesota was probably the least from a media pressure standpoint. Maybe you disagree. No, I, that's a good point. And I, and I think coming from Minnesota, how big hockey is here, it, it's, uh, you know, this is, this is our culture, but for me to go into some of those markets, Toronto, um, Vancouver, it's a whole nother level just with the whole following of the media, as you just mentioned. I mean, you come in, I remember in Toronto when I would come in after a pregame skate on hockey night in Canada, which would be a Saturday. Um, there were, there were, I mean, not only every equipment prepped in the world that was based out of Toronto, you had every media outlet. I mean, it was, Toronto is is like the the New York of Canada, and uh, but the media coverage there it was hard to get away from it. Like if you went out for dinner, yep. there was constantly something talking about the Leafs, and and uh, 
it was a great experience because you kind of learned how to how it all worked there. But um, you know, it was it was also fun to be in a culture where people really care and there's so much interest and there's so much opinion, which actually is is fine. I'd rather have opinion than not opinion. Um, but for some guys, I would say it's not an easy place to play because you get criticized. People are you know on the radio on every talk show, but uh, it was fun. The center of the hockey universe, uh, Toronto, that is uh, absolutely for sure. Then uh, you go to, you go to Vancouver, and then you wind up here a couple seasons uh, later for the expansion Minnesota Wild. You scored the first goal in Wild history at home at XL Energy Center. What, what was that whole experience like to come back to a place where you were such a great college star and awesome high school player as well? Well, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was, you know, I, I was hoping Vancouver would continue to work, and mm-hmm. um, they had re-signed me. Obviously, the expansion came up, so you didn't know what would happen and, and that type of thing. Columbus was the other team, so. Um, but I, I kind of liked the direction of where Vancouver was going. Mark Crawford at the time was that coach. We're going to see them three years later, which is amazing in the playoffs. But um, uh, I remember being there with a good friend, Trent Clatt, and and you know, I didn't. It didn't. It, you know, it's not like you were, you're hoping to get traction and get your career in the right direction there. But all of a sudden, expansion happens. I remember we had a cabin in Duluth. Um, I got a heads up, actually, that um, that the Wild had picked me. It wasn't announced yet. And, and I, I remember I just went out and went fishing. And I, I wasn't sure how it was all going to play out. I mean, I, I loved my time playing college in Minnesota, obviously growing up in Minnesota. Um, but I, I, I wasn't so sure about that. And uh, mm-hmm. expansion, are you going to win five or seven games you know you look at the teams in the past too it, it's a different type of thing but um at the end of the day um i was excited because there was opportunity and um you know maybe maybe this could be an opportunity in your career that could um you know get you to another level make you more consistent player type of thing but um obviously a lot of things fell into place from um, the ownership and the Nagleys, um norm coleman jack sperling i mean all these guys um Todd Lywicki, all these guys early that that had that vision. And then, um, you know, of course, they hired Jock Lemaire with Doug Riseborough. And um, it was it was it was definitely a, an experience that once you got there, you're excited. But with Jock and how he set the tone, you had to earn it. And um, yeah, and, and I don't think anyone wanted anyone wanted any different. But it was a lot of fun. Um, so many memories that the people, the fans, I still remember. Probably the, the biggest memory was our first exhibition game. We were playing Anaheim, and this is warm-ups. Now, this is not like um, even the game starting. It's an exhibition game, and the whole building was sold out. And everyone – I'm not everyone, but players looked at me being from Minnesota, and they're like, what? Is, I said, hey, we're, this is Minnesota. But people were that <laughs> excited, and that, that energy was um, really, really, really fun to be around. Who were your first line mates, Darby? <sighs> You know, I think with uh, Jock, we, we were all over the map. Um, uh, I remember uh, Maxim Suschinski was on my line for a period of time. Matt Johnson got acquired real early with our franchise because he came over, uh, you know, in a trade. But we were – Matt Johnson was was on my line a lot. Um, just to just – you know what? There were so many different ones. It's hard to remember. Um, I remember all the people. I think we all, we all probably played with everyone at a certain point. Yeah, the, uh, and then you you come in, you score your first ever goal at XL Energy Center. Um, I mean that that to me had to be like the one of those storybook, you know, sort of goosebump inducing moments to be the hometown kid scoring the first ever home goal 
in Minnesota Wild history. Did it, did it feel that way at the time? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a good question, and, and it's a great memory uh, to have being here. I mean, I think the big thing with like all of us as a player, you just you want to get on the board, and and mm-hmm. I never really thought that didn't even really. Um, you know, I mean, I think later, and as people bring it up, it, it's something that was fun because you're from here. And and I still, I, you just wanted to get on the board and stay in Jock Limmer's lineup. I'll be honest. <laughs> like, that just was kind of how your mentality was. And, um, you know, I, it's fun because I, I do see people and they say, um, you know, I was at that game when I was a little kid and now I'm 30 or something. And, you're, and like time flies, as we all know. But, uh, it, it, you know, it was I just, it was a special time in Minnesota. I never thought because I was from Minnesota, um, it, it, that never rang. Or that's never how I took it. Um, I, I just was fun with that group and the guy that made the pass, Maxim Suchinski. I mean, yep. <laughs> he gave me a great play. So <laughs> it was fun. It was a great, I think, building moment for our franchise. I think those things were bigger to me, probably like just the excitement of the team being back. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a great, great time to be in Minnesota. How much pride is there, Darby? Like you, you have. We're in the twentieth year anniversary, twenty year anniversary of the Minnesota Wild. You played for the team for four seasons. You've been now an assistant coach for twelve. That has spanned multiple head coaches, multiple managers. I mean, there's got to be an incredible pride that that you've basically seen it all with this organization. And no matter who's in charge, uh, they they see the value in keeping you. Well, I appreciate it. I, I you know, I, I'm thankful, number one, to be here. Um, and, and I think your constant focus every day is to make a difference and try and create a solution, whether it's an individual scenario, whether it's team, whether, um, you know, you're with one, uh, whatever coach you're at and, and to be, you know, to be a part of what is very, very important. Um, I, I think the wild to me is um, it's in your heart. It's in your sort of soul where you, you, you care and you, you want, you want, I mean, you, you, you live every day, the ups and the downs and, and you want to be a part of, um, you don't want to be the big, I, I, it's not important for me to be, have attention. It's important to help what you believe in and, um, and the players. I mean, there's been a lot of players that I would say, um, you hope you've had an influence in, in their hockey part, um, whether that's working on specific things on the ice, but m- maybe as important as just them as a person and getting to know who they are and finding what clicks with them and those relationships. I think that's always something I've strived to do. And within that, um, make our team better, make our organization, make our, our, make it better for our, for our city and our state. And uh, um, I've been thankful for every second I've had here. Do you, like, for an assistant coach's role, I mean, do you almost have to be that sort of nurturing guy? I mean, you know, Dean, whether it was Boudreaux, yo, Dean, I mean, they, they've sort of got to be the bad guy at times, I'm sure. Um, yeah. where, where the assistant coach almost swoops in and, and, you know, puts the consoling hand on the shoulder. Is, is that fair the way that it works at times? You know what? I think first off the, 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 the coaches you're with have to have a trust in you that you're, you're, um, a on the same page or you're, you have the same message. Um, I, I think with players, you, you certainly have the conversations of, you know, for example, if someone's not thrilled about their ice time, um, you know, you can sir. I, I have a have to relationship to communicate what our staff is thinking, not what me, Darby Hendrickson thinks. It's what our staff thinks. It's what we've talked about. Um, if that player, um, you know, wants to vent with me, that's one thing. If, if, but if, if he, as me as a messenger, wants that to get back to our head coach, he just doesn't want to have that specific meeting. That's another thing. So I, 
I have to read those things, but most importantly, know that the coach and coaches you're with know you're on the same page. But the player also has to know I'm on his page and I'll, we're here to help him. So um, there are times where you're going to have a guy frustrating events. There's other times where you have to be honest with players. And again, you're you're echoing a message from your coach and coaches that what where you're coming from and why he may may not be playing as much. So um, it's a fine line balance. But at the end of the day, you're again, your whole goal that you always have is to try and make your team and him and your team better. And you're trying to do that. But it's uh, um, those are the day to day things. And I think the thing, like I said earlier, that you enjoy the most is is that you can be in a role um, to communicate. You can be in a role that uh, your coach knows you're with him and then then you can go to work with it. I think that's the most enjoyable thing. Once a guy can banner, he's frustrated. Maybe it's in a morning skate. Now you can show him some visual or go through what, why we don't think his game is, is, is at where it needs to be at. And then we can go to work. And then on the ice, that's where I, you know, is the best time. You can be on the ice, you can work, you can get better. Uh, and hopefully ultimately he can get back in, play more and be a big part of our team. Let's go back to your playing days a little bit, uh, Darby, uh, and talk about everybody's favorite subject, uh, 2003, the year that you guys uh, shocked the league and went to the Western Conference Final. I remember I was still down in South Florida watching that from afar and just absolutely amazed at, at the way that XL Energy Center was throughout that postseason. Um, you guys rallied back from 3-1 deficits twice, two times in a row against the uh, both the Colorado Avalanche and the Vancouver Canucks. The Vancouver series, uh, to me, was one of the most fun series to write about uh, last summer. We, uh, myself and a colleague, Thomas Drance, really looked back at that 2003 series. It was just fun, especially because I didn't cover te- the team, Darby, to hear a lot of those uh, stories. And the two in particular that still make me laugh is 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 one, when you guys are 3-1 down and you go back to Vancouver and you guys walk into the rink there at GM place and you see all the Canucks on the ice without their, their helmets on. And it, was it was it Jimmy Dow that made the comment, like, who the hell do these guys think they are, the, the 80s Oilers? Exactly. Um, no, we had uh, – it was an overtime game. It was uh, Vancouver won here in St. Paul, and we were – you know, we were right in the series. I mean, it was close. Like, But all of a sudden you're down 3-1, and I think we had an off day. And then we flew to Vancouver, so it was two days in between the game. And um, yeah, we would their practice rink was in Burnaby, British Columbia, where um, you know they, it's just that's where they're set up, and and they happen to be on the ice before us as we came in carrying our bags and uh, you know just getting ready to get back in the series. But they were obviously we talked about media hype in different cities, and they're in round two, they're up three one, and um, I think it was the majority of their team, or maybe it's a lot of guys were off the ice. I can't remember, but a lot of their guys had their helmets off and um it just was sort of a gesture because if you watch any old highlights of the oilers in the day they were pretty darn good as we all know but they they practice a lot without their helmets on like mark messier when i was in vancouver like sometimes he wouldn't wear a helmet in practice which sounds like old school which it was but that's just how they did it in the days and um and guys didn't wear helmets then but in our era now it's a little if you saw a team do that you just think they they were a little too high on themselves. So Jimmy Dowd were coming in. He's like, are, are you, you know, kidding me? I, like, who do they think they are? The Ed, 80s Oilers. And then Andrew Brunette, who is his own alpha personality, just like kept going, holy, look at these guys. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that like spread into our locker room as we, you know, and most of the time, like when you're a team, your trainers, they have all the gear set up. That's part of the National Hockey League. But with us, you know, that was kind of our group. We were kind of a blue collar team. We had our bags, which you should, and we carrying our stuff in to hang up our gear. 
uh, which it should, but that usually doesn't happen because of how it works in the NHL. So we, we felt, I don't, there was just a hunger that was in going on and any little edge or something you could find, you're looking for it. And that was one we saw that Jimmy Dowd really. And then Bruno was in the locker room going like he, like if you went in the training room, he'd bring it up. 80s Oilers, 80, like he just is like, and then everyone is kind of like, yeah, you know what? Um, it just, it just grew. And then by the, the next day, I think the score was seven to one or two or whatever. Like we were ready and uh, they knew it. Um, but it, you know, we still had a couple games to go as well as well. Yeah. That's game five. You come back home for game six and, you know, even though you look at the final score and everybody thinks that you smoked the Canucks, the reality is that was a nail biter through this, through the end of the second period. And even in the third, I mean, you guys had to score a bunch of goals there to, to really take control of that game, starting with your goal about seven minutes into the third period. Um, you know, how exciting was that game? Because uh, especially with all the hoopla that surrounded it with Todd Bertuzzi telling Wild fans uh, there's not going to be a game six and all that stuff. The energy in that in that uh, building early, like I'm, I'm from the from the day that the franchise opened to into the playoffs that quick was just incredible. Uh, the only thing I, I can relate to growing up in Minnesota was the Twins when they won in '87 and '91. How loud it was, and they had Homer Hankies, and uh, it was in the dome. Like it, it just was this incredible, incredible excitement. Um, as players, it was interesting because Jock Lemaire had us in St. Paul at the Radisson hotel. So like we, we, we would see our families briefly on off days would be back there every evening. Um, it was just how we wanted us focused with our group, no distractions. So the outside world to us with everything, uh, you know, we weren't as tapped into, um, just the day to day of going grocery shopping and how excited people were. Um, we would feel it more in the game at the rink and how it was all set up. And, and to your point about how, ex how loud it was, how exciting it was. It just, it just had this feeling of something that was, a whole nother level. And um, so any, any games we're in, I mean, they were all so tight. The playoffs, as you mentioned that, that game six with Vancouver, that was tight till the third. There was, there was no like five, one, one, wow. We just, no, that was a different one. Um, and we got some goals later uh, to get it going or to break it open, but it just, every game didn't, it, it never felt comfortable. Um, the, probably the one before in van, because the score was so lopsided was probably the only one, but they all just had overtime. Like, overtimes and and you know late goals and games and and it that's what made it fun but it made every little play crucial whether it's getting your puck out of the zone whether it's a face-off um all all these details of the game were uh they were on they were on full highlight if, if, if you got it done you, you were going to win those little and if you didn't you might be on the other end of it so i think all those things for a player uh had your laser focus dialed in and the whole thing it's cr it's crazy to me still today that you guys win game six and game seven is a second of a back to back where you guys all have to fly, you know, basically follow the Canucks uh, flight right to Vancouver after the game, get in late. And then it was not an easy trip to the hotel, if I remember correctly. It was uh, it was I mean, first of all, we are excited because we got game seven. We go back to that picture where we're in. Vancouver and they got their uh and we're down three one they got their helmets off and we think they're cocky um <laughs> we we battle back and um you know we have this back to back as you say so we we, we I mean you're, you're you're excited you won but you're like okay we got game seven so you know we get on the plane and as we know Vancouver's a almost a three-hour flight it, it's a haul you're getting there late uh Vancouver fans obviously that city in Canada is going nuts as well so we get to our private airport and, you know, I think all of us are just like, we can do this. Let's do it. You know, our attitude is good. We feel great. We just won. And um, 
we get in our bus. There's two buses. There's media buses following us. Um, there is a group of fans, probably about five or six cars waving Vancouver flags when we pull out of our security gate from a private airport in Vancouver. So we think it's kind of funny. Uh, but yet, you know, they're I'm sure have been partying all night and they, they're waving flags and they're kind of getting obnoxious. So they're kind of like trying to, you know, get in our way, cut us off, all this. So we're, we're going through Vancouver. You've been there multiple times. When you come through the city of Vancouver, it's it's more of a it's not like a one uh, highway system. You're kind of coming through a yeah. downtown stoplights, you know, that type of thing. And um, so we are we are trying to sort of avoid these these fans. And it's again, uh, I don't know, is it two or two thirty or whatever time it is in the morning? You gotta, you're, you're just trying to turn it around and get ready. So we we try and avoid these people. And um, our bus T-bones a limousine. I mean, and so it's like it's literally it's past two o'clock, and we're. Uh, got one of the biggest games of our lives and fortunately no one in this limo was hurt but we smoked it like it it, it was like the, the the limo spun um you know and we didn't like we're just like in shock um obviously the bus driver has to stop um and when he stops these fans don't even pay attention like even to the limo at all they just they all get out of their car and like start shaking our bus like and we're just going <laughs> i mean what, what is happening like we had no security whatsoever i mean you know, following us in terms of Vancouver and that type of thing. Um, so I remember Jock, I can't remember exactly how, I think he's like to the bus driver, you got to get in the bus and we've got to go. Like, you know, the bus wasn't overly damaged. We we could just get us to the hotel, uh, which we finally did, but it was just experiences like that, that uh, you can't make it up. Um, you know, and no one, Fortunately, like I said, the other, the people in the limo didn't get hurt, but it, it just was bizarre. But within it all, uh, uh, you know what? You're there. Just was this incredible uh, energy within our team, and, and that team part, like just how strong the team was, like some of the personalities. And and I obviously we had Wes Walls and we had Bruno and Jimmy Dowd, and on and on and on. Sergey Joel talk, um, but you know some of the the humble, incredible team guys like Jason Marshall. We just we had really, really special people. Um, and you know, it was, everyone was happy for anyone who, who got credit, which that wasn't important. We just, we were truly a, a strong group of people that really enjoyed each other. Your jock story reminds me of, a uh, about four or five years ago, I was in Puerto Rico with friends and we're, we're taking like a hotel van to the, uh, rainforest essentially to go on a hike. And mm -hmm. in front of us on the highway, a guy um, is holding furniture in the back of a pickup truck and the driver of the pickup truck slams on the brake and the guy flies out of the car of the back of the truck and lands on the pavement and is in bad, bad shape. And so we, we're right in front of it and we stop and I'm just like, what did I just witness? And all of a sudden I kind of sense that our van is like weaving in and around of stop vehicles. And all, and all of a sudden he hits the gas and just flies past the accident. And he looks at me and goes, there's nothing we could do. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds oh, me like Jacques oh, get in the bus yeah, and get us out of here so let's get out of here yeah yep. uh yeah. let me add before we move on uh let me ask you about game seven another nail biter zero zero game midway through the second suddenly Matthias Olin and Ty Bertuzzi score a minute and one apart and yep. all of a sudden you guys are down two zero what is the reaction on the bench at that point? Because I've got to think the way that that game was going and how tight the game was that they, there, there would be that immediate, like, Oh, we just blew it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, because they're all wired up too, going back to their building and their fans, and um, and I think for like a guy like Bertuzzi, I don't think I don't know if he had scored yet in our series. Um, he, you know, he he really wasn't on the scoreboard as much as he had been throughout his career and in that year. I, I feel I can't remember, but yeah, it was I, I the second that, goal of the series, so you're right. Second. Yep. Um, but you know, yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, you're down 2-0, you're on the road, game seven. I just, I don't remember a panic ever, though. I, I just mm -hmm. don't. I mean, I, I think we always, I think there was just always something in that we're like, well, if we make it 2-1, we're right there. I think we, we kind of went through some of those things with Colorado that maybe help you a little bit. But I, I'd never sense this, um, like, while we're out. And um, we, we just had different elements to find a way. I think it was Pascal Dupuy who, yep. who got us, you know, kind of a good, a good bounce. Um, but we just, we had some good energy and we were, you know, it's, everything is moving so fast. Like you don't even have time to like, wow, you're down too well. You just got to get dialed into what you got to do and your role. And all of a sudden, um, you know, the right things happen. I think that was one of Jock's yep. philosophies that he preached a lot. Even when we were maybe down in a series to Colorado or Vancouver, he would really, um, with our video, he would really like really have us focusing on all the chances we were getting, even if we weren't finishing uh, and all the right things we were doing. It was he was good at that of creating those visuals. So I think those things probably stick in you. Well, if we just have to stick with how we play and what we do. And fortunately that happened. Um, but again, all these games, they're so tight and every little play uh, could make the difference. Yeah. Pascal Dupuy scored four and a half left in the second period. Uh, the great West wall scored eight minutes into the third. So nail biter there down a goal uh, from almost halfway through the third period in the back half of the second period. And uh, who scored the winning goal of that game? Mm, uh, that would I, I can't remember but I, I do I do know who made a great pass uh Richard Park <laughs> um and that was a lot of fun and I, and I think I can't remember how much time was left in the game I just came 502. out 502 yep yeah there was still a lot of time so it really wasn't like celebration time it was like okay let's let's line up and like let's just get this one done um, that's, I think how we felt and, um, cause we were down and, um, Richard Park, I remember gave me a good, uh, just gave me a good feed. And I'm sure, uh, um, Kuchy on the other side probably would love to have that one back. Um, I, I felt at the time, I just, it was a slap shot where you just, it was a quick, not a huge, uh, wind up, but like, I felt like I hit it perfect. And I knew right when I shot it, it was in, I felt like it's almost like it's hard to explain. Um, and I, and I, uh, and I, you just felt that. And um, he, I think he was deep in his net, um, but I hit it hard. And I've heard him or someone say since it wasn't that. I mean, that's fine. People can say whatever they want. It went in. <laughs> but um, it was a good play. And, and like I, just, I, I still just felt we had a lot of time left in the game. And because of all the drama in the series, even our first game um, of the series against them, we lost a faceoff late. I should say I did. Uh, my stick broke. Mm -hmm. We lost the draw. They tied it. They won in overtime. So it just, all this drama, um, you know, you, you didn't know. And obviously we get a, a, an empty netter, which is. Which actually, is it wasn't even an empty just, netter. Uh, Tabertuzzi was, was it wasn't even an empty netter. Tabertuzzi was actually called for a penalty and Dupuis scored on the power play. Oh, that's right. Um, that's yeah, right. That's right. It was, uh, it was yeah. uh, the only the that's second right. penalty the entire game. You guys had none in the entire game. Bertuzzi was called. Uh, wow. 15:34 into the third for interference uh, on uh, Rollison, who he still contends took a dive, and uh, and uh, Dupuis scored on the power play. But uh, you know what's funny? If you're listening to this podcast, 
Um, go on YouTube and look at Tom Fitzgerald's Game 7, 1996 uh, winning goal in Pittsburgh to advance the uh, Florida Panthers to the Stanley Cup Final. And you will see a very identical goal to the one that Darby scored, the winning goal in Game 7 against against um, against Vancouver, uh, what, seven years after Fitzy. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, very similar goals. Slap shot from just inside the blue line. Uh, I think his uh, Fitzy was off Johan Garpenlov pass, if I remember correctly, and uh, Darby from Richard Park and Andre Zuzan, and then you guys go on. How, how much do you think your energy was sapped in the Western Conference Final, Darby? Uh, it just obviously, you guys worked your absolute butt off game one, but you had played a ton of games, had a, a ton of adversity in both playoff series where you had to expend a lot of energy rallying back. You have the huge travel coming back, back to back, Vancouver coming back, playing. Anaheim two days later. How much do you think that you guys were out of gas? Yeah, at the time you don't like you don't want to believe it because you're you're just so on adrenaline and this is the time of your life where maybe one and only opportunity or who knows how long you can go or get a chance at the at it here. Um that turnaround, you know, we had obviously our first round series, which was back to back game sevens as well with Colorado. Um I don't think we had much time in between that round because of game seven to get right into Vancouver. Um maybe a day and we flew there. Um, and then obviously Anaheim had, um, you know, they had a, had a break from their previous series. So they, they, they were off for like a, a week or so. So they were just trying to Mike Babcock coach then trying to probably get ready for the next opponent. And, um, you know, we were just, we were in game mode though. So I, I think for us, like, even though we came back and played at like a noon, I think it was mother's day. Um, I, I felt like we were on adrenaline. We, we were flying our first game. I felt, I, I think everyone just felt great. You were excited. Uh, it's an afternoon game, uh, but we just couldn't get, get by one on Jaguar. Um, you know, obviously there's still a, a visual of every wild fan and our team of that Marion Gabrick uh, play. Um, I, I actually remember having an unbelievable chance early in the game that I, I don't know how it didn't go in. Pascal Dupuis gave me a pass and he looked at me like, how did that, what happened? <laughs> it, it hit a leg or something. It just like something wasn't. Something got in the way, some force, um, and maybe it was their goalie, but uh, we just couldn't find it. And and um, you know, I think you start to lose, you start to lose some not 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 your belief. I remember Doug Riseborough had a meeting in Anaheim. We were down three zero, and we and we had some really good meetings in our other series where he was terrific in what he said and uh, from his leadership side. And uh, um, I I don't know. I I remember him talking about hope. Let's just continue to have hope. We had it before. Don't lose that. And we get three, one, maybe we can go home, but we just couldn't find that next gear. And offensively, obviously we were, we were stuck. We just couldn't get one by them. I don't think we scored until Bruno did in game four in Anaheim where we got swept, but um, you know, in our minds, we didn't want to believe that, that everything caught up to us because we had such a great feeling. Um, but you know, when all of a sudden when you lose four, it's just empty. And uh, certainly you look back and all these memories that you love the time and the people and the, uh, and everything, but it just, yeah, that one still sits, um, that one still sits there because we were, you know, who knows if we get, to, if we play the devils, like who knows they're going to win it in, you know, seven games against, but like, you just don't know. And just yeah. that one crack to maybe get to the finals, you don't know. And, uh, unfortunately we'll never know. Yeah. 2003, it was, uh, devils versus, uh, was it Colorado? Um, trying to think in there. I think it was, yeah, Colorado. Colorado. I know they beat Dallas. They also played Detroit. I'm trying to remember the exact timeline of them, but they were were rolling. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Um, 
You know who, by the way, gave uh, the Pascal Dupuis look to Darby Henderson? You know who got that similar look last night? It was Hugh Larkson Eck from Kirill Kaprizov. It must be yes. something about the number. Well, I did tell Joel I did not have a ton of goals. And he, there are a lot of goals, as I told you, for him. Um, but he, he's been great. And uh, he's such a strong kid. He's such a, a coachable kid. I don't know if I should call him a kid anymore because he's growing up. But uh, he's been terrific. And, and uh, it's fun to see him get rewarded. Like he's going to the net. But the Capri, Capri's um, pass to him was uh, – just a great play across the slot. And I know he had net front and I've looked at it a lot. Like, come on, let's just bury this. But uh, he, he, he's finding himself in the right place. And if you're around number 97 and your sticks on the ice, there's a good chance you're going to have a really good chance. Yep. No doubt about it. Um, and by the way, 2003, it was devils over the ducks. Uh, I forgot about that. Paul Korea, uh, Scott Stevens series. And um, it was two years earlier. Colorado beat uh, beat the Devils. Uh, yes. So, uh, yep. Uh, and then Anaheim obviously won it in two thousand seven. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Darby, uh, you mentioned Sergei Joltuk. Um, he's somebody that I, I never got to know, and yet I've heard so many stories about just what type of special player he was, what type of special person he was. Um, and obviously, he, he passed away during the 2004-05 lockout, um, and you were there with him. Um, can you tell me a little about Sergey and just uh, what that whole experience was like and the way that it defined you? Yeah, uh, I still, I'd say I think about Sergey every day still, that I, and I will for the rest of my life. Um, his wife, Anna, uh, his oldest son, Edgar, and Nikita. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he just, I, I think any teammate you'd ask about Sergey, wherever he's been, he just had this enthusiasm that was uh, contagious. He just like he, he just he loved the game of hockey, but he loved people and, um, you know, born in Riga, Latvia. Uh, you know, he just he had this flair that was fun. You wanted to be around him. Um, when I was playing with, uh, um, you know, the wild, I, I, I we lived in Grove Heights, our family. He lived in Egan. So we would actually uh, commute a lot and different things, practices, even our off seasons, we skate. And so I got to know him. and It was fun. Um, Andrew Burnett was his roommate on the road. They had a great rapport, but just in general, like how he interacted with everyone, like even Jock, like him and Jock had a good rapport, <laughs> sort of how they were. And, um, but I, just a terrific person. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed sharing the biggest thing with him, like uh, away from the, the game was talking about hockey and talking about, uh, what he sees and how, how, how he grew up and how he trained and how he got better and why he, why he wanted to be everything just good a good teammate those things and he was passionate like you could have hours of conversation with Sergey on the game and uh and life too but uh just a, a unbelievable person and uh for me um you know he, he was not me of all of our teammates we just you want like you know he, he we were actually up at our cabin uh fishing it was me him Dwayne Rollison Bruno a friend of Dwayne's. We went up during one of the lockout times and, um, you know, we didn't know if we were going to play. And actually Bruno had moved on. Roley um, uh, had moved on, like actually hadn't moved on yet to Edmonton. But we, we always, I remember one night we were with Sergey and um, 
I think we were definitely having some Coors Lights in the late later evening. And um, um, I think Bruno said something along the lines of, you know what, that was a fun group we had with 03. Maybe, uh, you know, we'll get another chance or something. And, and I remember Sergey kind of stopped, like the room stopped. He's like, no, 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 you will not. And I think someone went, or Rolly maybe or someone, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I mean, we, you know, we still have years left in our career. And Sergey goes, it's not that you might not have another run. It's that group we were with that even though we didn't win the fu- the whole thing, like what and how strong that group is, that will not happen to you again. And we all just kind of said, okay, well, we still hoping, you know, but I think as years have gone by later, being around a Bruno or people, uh, really, um, I think that's, that, that's, that it's holds true. Just it's, it's hard to find a group in your career where you're that tight and you're that close and to have success with it, it helps. Uh, but even the part where you maybe didn't win a cup, you, you still, you had a togetherness that was, it's so hard to find every team in the world in every sport tries to find that. And we had, we just had that. And, uh, and that was Sergey who would, you know, I don't know. He, he just, he had a way of how he said things. And, um, that same trip, he, he, I remember we were coming up from the dock. We had caught walleyes, and uh, he kept like kind of pulling on my coat string, saying, "Maybe, maybe will you come and play in Riga?" And uh, I just, you know, I didn't know. Um, I had actually been gone. I, I was uh, resigned with Colorado at the time where I got traded, and I, um, I or some, I'm just trying to go back, but I just, I, I finally said, "Hey, I'll come to Riga with you." And uh, you know what? It was it was um, really a neat town, and and unfortunately um you know Sergey passed during that time it was it was probably one of the hardest times um that I've had in my life yeah during your during a game right and uh, yeah and you were but right more there. importantly yeah in his family and um you know it just was a difficult it just it's hard to to, to get into every part of it um but I, yeah. I I think the uh the memories I have of Sergey his family I still have um relationship with his wife and their kids and try and stay in touch and um I know Sergey would want that. Um, yeah. My my wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, his middle name is Sergey Beckett Sergey. Um, but it just, but he's just. Uh, I don't know. I just there, there's a part of your life and and what he meant to you that, like I said earlier, I, he's someone I think of every day and someone um, you'll never forget about. Yeah, and if I, I believe it was Brian Murphy that uh, when I first moved here to Minnesota wrote it just to incredible story about uh about that your relationship with uh with uh sergey and if uh if that's online i highly recommend people uh um uh looking that up uh darby i gotta ask you you had 26 penalty minutes in six games in riga what happened i did <laughs> yeah yeah a, you had a was it a misconduct or a couple of fights or what i that seems to be above your norm I don't know. I don't, you know what, to be honest with you, like, I don't even know how their stats come out there. Um, uh, I don't remember anything too crazy happening. I do okay. remember going, I remember going over for a tournament, I'll be honest. And I, so, um, Sergey like said, come play. And then he had a, a deal with one of the Russian teams, the KHL. So he kind of put the team we were going to play on, on hold in Riga. We weren't in the KHL. Like we were a different, um, we were a different league there, but the KHL pays a lot of money and he was definitely going to maybe make that move. And so I went over to play in a tournament. Um, and after the tournament, they actually fired our coach after the weekend. Um, and I'm just like, going, what, what is happening here, Sergey? Um, but he came over and he's like, I, I, I'm, it's awesome. You came. And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I might, this is good. I, I like this team. It's a good setup, the rink, all that. Um, 
this might be, I, I, I think I'm just going to stay and keep playing with the team. You, you do whatever you got to do, but love your hometown. This is great. Um, and then he kind of, he kind of pulled the plug on the KHL deal and just said, you know what? My mom is here. Um, I, I, my family can be here. We, they still had a place there that he could, their family could be at. He goes, I'm, I'm going to stay with this team. I'm going to stay with this group. And I said, awesome. So we were roommates, line mates. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I just, it was fun to be in a whole new environment. Yes. Like we didn't travel like the NHL. You'd be you know on old school buses and doing all that but we were it was fun just to be with him and see him I think in his hometown like he saw me obviously with my time where you're from Minnesota Mm -hmm. in our playoff things and then to see him I think it was one of the first games he scored in overtime and like you know it was it was a big deal to them I mean he's an icon him and Sandus Ozerlund's Archer Zerbe Carlos Scrastens was also on our team um rest in peace who passed away and yeah uh, locomotive um, flight, which is a whole nother story. But uh, um, Sergey was home and it was special to see him at home. And, and the people, when you were in the city throughout uh, Riga, which is a beautiful place on the Baltic Sea, I, it was cool. Um, but to be with him and kind of have him as your tour guide and then at the same token, uh, how the people recognized him and then also how he embraced and interacted with them with all of his world tournament experiences that they there's totally into was, was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed those, those memories with, with Sergey and his family. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, uh definitely, uh, again, uh, everybody should read, uh, Brian Murphy's story, uh, as well. Um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the wild, um, the current state of the wild. Um, uh, the, the one thing, you know, to get back to the 2000, 2003 teams up till 2009, when he left is Marion Gabrick and, um, you know, there's always that debate. That debate was Mary Gabrick a true superstar or not? And obviously, it's way too soon to even say anything about Kevin Fiala or Kirill Kaprizov. They're they're obviously, uh, you know, Fiala is right at the beginning of what looks like a, a budding career, and same thing with Kaprizov as well. Um, if you had to compare the two of them to Gabrick, how would you do it, Darby? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think Marion. Everyone when ta- they talk about Marion there's no question he's got a great release of shot and, and, but he had that explosive uh, three strides out of the gate. Like he, he yeah. could just get by people at a different level. Um, you know, I just, there, there, there's so many good skaters in the national hockey league. And then you got a guy like Gabra who could just, you know, that power. And then he, within it, his great release and just sort of getting to the right spots. Uh, he had a real knack at that. And, um, you know, that, I think that really separated Marion. Marion, Marion had a, a kind of an it factor, even from day one. I remember our first scrimmage, he's 18, he's our pick and all that, but he, he was hungry and confident. And I think he scored the first goal in the first scrimmage. He just kind of had that factor, um, you know, but I, I think with the other guys, um, a couple of things like Fiala, Fiala is very explosive. He like last night had a breakaway, in the second period off a draw where he can, he can separate himself from, pe- from people when his legs are going that, that brings him to another level. Um, he probably is more of a puck carry than Marion. Marion is more of a give and go. Mm-hmm. And then when he's got the right sentiment or he's on the power play jumps to a hole and um, he gets the shot off that quick. Um, I, I see Kevin as more, he carries the puck more um, that that is sort of his strength of being able to beat people, especially one-on-one at our level, which is hard to do. He's good at it. Um, uh, Kareel, his perception of, of seeing the ice and, and plays develop is something I have not seen in a long time. Um, and I, 
like I said, if you're his line mate, have your stick on the ice because yeah. you, may, you may get a tap in. But he he sees the ice so well. And he's, I think the one thing for him coming here, you know, he's 23. He's not an 18-year-old kid. Um, there's still a ton of adjustments from the ice surface to the just culturally where you're living, the team. Um, he seems to handle them all in stride. He's got a great personality with how he interacts with teammates. But he is... Um, you know, he's got that great glide in his stride. Like he's got that 10 and two where he can, he's efficient. Like his skating doesn't require a lot of, it's not taxing. Like sometimes you'll look at him and you're like, are you sweating? But <laughs> he's moving quick and making plays at incredibly high level. Um, you know, he, I don't know. It's just, it's been fun to see his, his personality um, mesh with our team. It's fun to see him be comfortable here. And I don't even think you've seen, you, you've seen a whole nother level he can be, but uh, I do think a guy like Zuccarello, um, whether his line mates were Rask before and or um, Bukestead last game, Zuccarello's really been a good influence in terms of not only thinking the game at a high level, I think they're both good for each other, um, but they, they they have that thinking. But also just as a, a veteran, a guy who's been around a long time, again, continue to help communicate with him in game and, and have that rapport that um, is valuable as well. Yep. Uh, it's funny that you said that about not sweating because uh, they showed Zuccarello and Kaprizov on the bench after a long shift either last night or in Arizona. And I mean, they, they had to be pinned in their zone for two minutes or, or at least on the ice for two minutes. And, and they showed them on the bench and they would just weren't even breathing hard. Um, last, last question on Kaprizov. And then uh, I do want to take another break that we could do Twitter questions and talk more about the team. Uh, Darby, uh, you know, I've, I've buttered you up long enough and I haven't even asked you about the power play yet. So, <laughs> so prep for that. Um, but yeah. on Kaprizov, um, let me ask you, I mean, like the one thing is, and he is at the very beginning of what's going to be a long career and he's going to get better and better and better. Does he have to get more selfish? Uh, there was one play last night in the power play where he didn't shoot the puck. And I joked in my game story that if there was still glass behind you, Everson would have broken his elbow. Um, he, he was not happy when, when, uh, that pass was off target and out of the zone. Does does he at some point need to just realize, you know what, I'm the I'm the best goal scorer. Uh, if they're not going to bury my tappins, I gotta I gotta I gotta shoot. I think it's what it, um, to answer to be make take the play that's there. I think mm-hmm. yes, he's creative and he can make a great pass, and we've seen that. It's it's cool. Uh, but like if, if 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 the play is there for him to shoot, and that's 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 not selfish. We need that, and I think. I think those are things he'll 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 grow at. I mean, his release off some of these rushes is um it's pretty impressive. I mean, I, I think when we were in Vegas, there was a number of chances he had where he was shooting more. And yeah, uh, Flurry was was terrific that game. So he he didn't certainly get the results on him, but um his shot is is pretty darn good. And we're going to need him to shoot. So for him, obviously, he's got to take the play that's there and not force something that's not with creative guys. It's hard to tell them. You can't know because because they're seeing it at such a high level. But when the opportunity is there to to let it go, uh, we need him to do that. And and again, those are parts of up here. I think in this year coming in, being young, seeing how much time he has, he's learning. But um, you're going to see him score goals at uh, at at a level here at a point too. And 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 to that point, when he decides that he's going to take those shots when they come, then it'll happen more. But he he certainly can shoot it. And and then there are times where we're going to need him to shoot it. Right. You're listening to uh, uh, Straight from the Source. You can subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash straight from the source for $3.99 a month. Podcast throughout our platform. Uh, Craig Custance and the Full 60 present the Prospect Series with The Athletic's Corey Promin and Scott Wheeler. 
uh, Thursday at the Athletic, and the Bob father, Bob McKenzie, semi-quasi-retired Bob McKenzie, uh, joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show this Wednesday. Uh, Darby, uh, won't keep you too much longer. I do have a bunch of Twitter questions. I, I did want to ask you about Eric Sinek. We joked about your number and how there's a lot of goals in there, but but man, is he uh, is he just developing into a heck of a player right now? Uh, you know, we looked at him as just a purely a, a shutdown guy. He's creating a ton of chances this year. Has been elevated in the lineup. Plays every situation for you. Getting power play time for the first time hasn't affected his PK at all. Um, it feels like the sky's the limit for you. Uh, yes, and he's strong as a horse too. Um, you know, he's almost six. I don't think he's quite six three, but he's just he's he's got a. He's strong. He's a thoroughbred type guy. He, he sort of identifies with some of our younger players who are strong and just have that, uh, you know, they, they have that next gear um, to me they were, that you need. They have that youthful part. They're strong. They're healthy. They're, they're on the upswing of their career. Um, I think with him, he's a great, uh, well, his teammates love him, but he, he's, a, he's not a real, he, he's a quieter guy. Like he, he's not, um, he goes about his business. I think in having conversations with people, he, he gets under people's skin and he doesn't know it. And it, it could be, <laughs> you know, it, it just could be going in to kind of play a guy one-on-one in a, in a situation in our own zone defensively. And, and all of a sudden he met his elbow happens to brush the guy in the chin, not in a nice way. And it, just things like that. So sort of he gets under people's skin, but uh, he's very valuable. I, I, I've always said his release. And if you ask our goalies, is is as good as I've seen. And I think that's something in his game that, just, just getting that off quicker in the games is something he's learning. We've seen it more. It's a big part of his game that I think is still there, that he can even be more productive if he can continually learn how to not – not even – it's not even all hard you shoot. It's just getting it off quick. Um, but mm-hmm. he works on those things. He, he watches it. His face-offs are things I, I know he cares about that he still is still working on to be consistent and be in a, in a, in a higher percentage in our league. That's an art that he's learning and – um, but he, in terms of that and the other parts of the game, um, he, he has a focus that he, he wants to get better in all those small areas. And I think for him, for us, um, it, it's just, um, he's a real valuable piece to our team. I remember, per, uh, Sidney Crosby early in his career, Darby, uh, you know, he obviously burst on his scene was just absolutely unbelievable early in his career. But the one thing that he was always upset about himself is is his face-off percentage and it's something that he vowed in the offseason to just improve and then he comes back and he's one of the best face-off guys in the league um you know obviously that's Sidney Crosby um but but how do you become better in that area because that is one area that if if Erickson Eck is going to want to be in a top top position on this team he's got to improve on we we saw it last night on all your power plays uh you know if he's going out there first and losing the draw and you know, you're, you're spending the next minute after chasing the puck 200 feet to get back in the zone. It defeats the purpose of throwing him out there. So how does he work on that? Well, it's something we work on every day. He, um, the first part I'd answer with that is being around guys of high level. I say, even in my day when I played Doug Gilmore, Mark Messe, or, uh, Sundin, these guys who were high level hall of fame type people, I'd say being around them younger, they were, they were, huge on terms of how important it was so as a young guy growing up you're, you're learning from them you're listening to them now I, I look at in a coaching part um we actually have three members of our staff who played center myself Brett McLean and Dean Dean Everson was a center mm-hmm. as well so we all have our sort of um uh beliefs and tech techniques whether you're tying a guy up whether you're winning with power um whether you're take if you're a lefty playing it's a lefty a lefty versus a righty just uh, cutting the circle all those techniques 
when Miko Koibu is here, we have Nick Bonito now who excels at that. They they have offer some of the best advice to the younger players. They they actually take draws that we do every day, like I say, with these guys. But the biggest thing is mentality, is that this faceoff circle is important. We want to get possession. Another part of faceoffs is how many draws your wingers and your defensemen just on 50-50 pucks can win from you. It's amazing to go through every night. And we had a couple last night that were 50-50 pucks that we should have had that we believe, but they got them. And these are things we show that are incredibly important. They could, could, could totally be the difference between us defending in, a, in, a, in, a, in our zone, clearing the puck on a penalty kill, all these things. But I think it's the importance and the mentality for, for a young guy like Eki to understand how important that is, not only for our possession of our team, but for him and his role. And, and he does. And so he works at it. And, you know, he, he's had, like I say, a lot of conversations with people who've been good at it, Amico, a Benino. Uh, and he's continually to grow, but consistency is the biggest part. And some nights um, you could, you know, I think two nights ago, he was at almost 60%. Last night, all of a sudden you're against a Carlson or a different guy who's pretty good. You have to be able to adjust your technique sometimes in game. And those are parts he's still working at, but they're parts he wants to get better at. Um, and for us to continue to grow in that, that category, um, we need him to be good. Absolutely. Um, I give Dean credit because I'm sure the bane of his existence right now is the power play. And yet he has not once imploded uh, or just absolutely erupted uh, on any media member uh, that has asked him about the power play. Usually it's me. Um, what It's got to be one of the toughest uh, things that you as a coaching staff and the players on both units have, have dealt with. I mean, we're at historical levels here. Um, what do you guys have to do to uh, to improve on a situation that, man, if it was just an average power play, uh, you'd be leading the division probably by a mile, Darby? In, in two parts of our team, we are uh, very happy with our five-on-five. Five. I mean, that's something yep. from an analytical concept to just our visual of our team and how they're doing five-on-five. Five. We, we are in the top portion of our league in terms of producing and just our efficiency. Uh, Obviously, the specialty teams have to add in there. Um, Dean was in charge of our power play last year. Brett McLean is is also a part of our power play, but Dean Dean has now said it's our power play, it's not just <laughs> one person. So he, um, but input to your point is is what Dean has. Uh, Brett, even specifically, they are working specific at it with the groups in terms of organizing. But all of our input from our whole staff, from Bob Woods, to everyone has input. Um, personnel, all those decisions is definitely a concern because it's not being productive right now. And, and I, I think the one thing that I hear within our group um, is that when something is not when something is not working, we, we, how can we simplify it? And um, the more complicated you get things, um, the, the more all of a sudden you keep continue to go the wrong way. There are habits to have your net front. There are decisions we make with personnel. Um, but the big, biggest thing I think that we're trying to find is simplify. And um, last night, for example, we couldn't even get into a situation where we could simplify because we couldn't get to the zone. So part of that is a credit to Las Vegas's penalty kill, but part of it is us having to adjust to to be more efficient. But point is, um, the biggest thing with power plays is at a certain point you have to produce. You have to produce on that to be successful. But I always believe you have to do the right things. But for us right now, the right things aren't necessarily um, this certain set player, this it is simplifying it. It is having a guy at the net and counting yeah. pucks and getting it there and getting it to loosen up. And all of a sudden you get things to loosen up. Those plays always happen. I think we've seen that 
it's one-on-one of hockey that happens all the time. And the same applies for five-on-five offense. But for us to get going, we have to simplify it. Um, obviously, there was a decision at a certain time just to go with our lines. We had multiple groups. We actually had some success with it. Um, what we do tomorrow specifically in terms of that um, is not has, has been discussed. But um, we need to get that going. But, again, we need to do the right things to get the results. It's one. It's the same. It's that mentality you have to have. Um, simplify it. Get, get that going, and then all of a sudden you get momentum, you get confidence again, and uh, we will find a way. And it, it is a collective effort. Obviously, the players, everyone wants to do well in it, and um, we have to do our best as a staff to put the people and have the right message to hopefully turn the tide on that. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, obviously, uh, sixth best power play in the league, uh, 53 even strength goals, or five on five goals, I should say, 55 even strength. Um, that is uh, uh Fifth in the NHL, tied, uh, yeah, fifth in the NHL. And again, teams have played more than the Wild, way more than the Wild. So the Wild, in terms of even strength, is actually one of the best in the league. Uh, and they also give up very few um, five-on-five goals as well, near the bottom of the league in five-on-five goals given up. Uh, Dallas, of course, leading because they've played the fewest games. So if you could just get the power play going, uh, this would be uh, a really, really good uh, team. A couple more questions on the team. Let me throw you some shorter questions. And I also want to ask you about the Hendrickson Foundation, obviously, Darby. Um, you know, Zach Parisi's obviously having a very tough time right now. Um, you know, you were you somebody that was a hometown guy being here. So it's got to make it really even tougher when you're in your hometown and, and you're dealing with this type of issue. Um, how has he been behind the scenes? And, and um, you know, how, how do you feel that he'll be able to overcome, you know, probably the first real adversity that he's had in, in his career where, you know, he's, uh, you know, struggling to score, not getting on the ice at times in key situations, things like that, that we've never seen from him before. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what, when, when you are, Zach is a very high standard. Um, he, he's had a terrific career. I have a very good respectful relationship with, with Zach to day in and day out, um, in, on the ice in a way, um, I think for him right now, I, I just I look at his game last night. He had a great game. I thought, yeah, I thought he moved really well. Um, he had a number of chances that maybe he hadn't have lately. I think the one thing you try and get specific with players. Dean has um, had some, I think, real good interaction video with Zach, just in terms of what he's seeing. Um, I, and obviously, as a player, you're always taking input from people to 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 improve, to stay at a level you've been at. Um, I think one of the biggest things. I saw in Zach's game last night that Dean comment like when he got the puck he moved his feet and it's not, and I think when we see Zach Parisi being successful he he's a great forechecker uh, I think one of the things we all know is he he retrieves and recovers puck in the offensive zone probably as good as anyone's ever done it he just he digs he's gritty and then he gets to that where he has success and I, I think sometimes as you you go and you're not feeling momentum in your game you sort of um, need to be reminded of your habits yes I, I think we all age for me. Um, you know, there's times where you, you weren't 21 anymore. You're, you're at a different age. So you're trying to refine and be more efficient in the things that make you, you, um, but I thought last night was really good. He, he was, his line with, with Rask and Fiala was, was a threat. Um, you know, obviously Kevin had the goal, but they were all really in, in terms of, they were interactive and they had, they, they moved. And I think Zach did a great job. I think that's his, that focus structure for him right now to build on. Um, we know where he's going to get his goals. It's going to be a tip. It's going to be a rebound. It's the second, third opportunity. Um, but his movement to get the pucks, his movement with the puck, I think those are things um, 
he did really well last night and hopefully he can keep going as far as the day to day of, um, you know, his career, he's, he just, he's going to keep that focus of what he did. And, um, he's going to help with this, this year, I think in a situation where it's humbling, um, you're not in the lineup, but, um, his focus, his mentality yesterday, his preparation, if he can do that, he's going to be good for us. Uh, Dr. Uh, Trowbridge uh, says leg- legendary Richfield High School hockey coach and former 1964 Olympian Jake McCoy passed away last month. I bet uh, Darby has a few amazing stories about him. Yeah, Jake McCoy. He, uh, he I had him for my high school uh, hockey hockey coach, one of my coaches there. Um, it was an incredible staff. Jake was a, a really good player in his day, too. He played on an Olympic team. Uh, US, you know, he was on national teams, Olympic teams, played at Minnesota, grew up in Washburn, grew up with my father, went to De La Salle mm-hmm. High School, um, just spent all of his life in coaching, and he was a gym teacher as well at Richfield when I was a kid. Um, great family, great person, I, kind of the king of the one-liners. Uh, he just, he, he always had a one-liner for whatever it was, but infectious person. And I think he coached for 57 years. Even when he was done coaching Richfield, he would volunteer for his grandkids to help the goalies. He stayed at Richfield for a lot of years after, even when the numbers in the program went down. But love Jake, love his family. Uh, it's tough to see um, a lot of these these guys that were sort of just kind of your heroes growing up pass away. But he he was, a um, I said it, I think, to someone these some of these guys they, they had this old school personality of these old coaches this for training but you're, you're, you're it's unfortunate because you feel like you're losing one of the last of the mohicans but um jake was awesome person yeah yeah uh let's talk you mentioned your dad uh let's talk about uh good old larry first of all the, the pride that that the hendrickson foundation continues and continues to do such incredible stuff um you know uh, uh you know, a few years after your dad passed away, that's just got to be incredibly uh, proud for you and your whole family. Yeah, thanks. I, he, he was, um, you know, obviously he's got his history of coaching and he was a strength coach and being in hockey for years in Minnesota. But I, I think he will be remembered probably the most for, for helping start a foundation that helped um, uh, children, boys and girls, adults um, deal with adversity. And, um, you know, the sectors of the Foundation helped people, um, you know, sled hockey, military hockey, special needs, um, and now blind hockey. So um, people who never thought they would have a chance to even play hockey are now on a team. Um, you know, I think his legacy to make a difference in people's lives and have that vision to get and get right, the people around you to make it happen, which he did, uh, is something that I looked up to him um, as a son. I know when he first started, he was hard charging and you know, it wasn't, he didn't ask us if we wanted to be on board. He told us. And, um, but I, I've seen, I think not me, but us and the families that you've seen and the smiles you see and not, not, and even some of the children, but the parents, um, it, it's, those are the, I think the incredible things that bring a tear to your eye. Um, our whole family, including my sisters and my brother, who's now, my brother's now, um, you know, in a, in a, had a role that Larry was in foundation wise director. Um, I don't know. We, we've all just tried to do our part to help. And, and um, uh, that will certainly be in Larry's legacy that um, the vision he had to help people who were less fortunate. And uh, it's been really special. Yeah. By the way, has there been a more fun father son trip than the one that Danny Hendrickson, your brother came on? <laughs> was it South Florida? Well, it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, him and Bruno were just like inseparable. 
Right. Well, I'm obviously my Larry had passed away and Bruno, him and Bruno have known each other for years of, uh, cause Bruno coached with my dad one year at Benil, one of the lockout years. Um, and then Bruno has been under our cabin countless times that we had in Duluth in the day with these fishing tournaments. So they, they actually kind of bonded. Uh, we went camping with Bruno in Killarney, Ontario, where he's from with his brother. So my brother is not afraid. If anyone knows him, he's got a big personality and, um, him and Bruno hit it off. They're pals. So uh, <laughs> we had fun on all those trips. And um, yeah, it's just, you know what? We're happy for Bruno down in Florida. We miss him in Minnesota. Yeah. But um, they're having a great start. So, um, but there's a lot of Bruno jokes. And I, I mentioned he's alpha. Um, we, we've had a lot of fun times with Bruno for sure. How about a Florida, Minnesota Stanley Cup final where Bruno and Darby are in the other revenges? That'll be kind of fun. That would be awesome. And your old, your old stomping grounds. Yeah, I but, know. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it just, if you could ever get to that spot, um, you know, as, as we all say, it's, it's just hard to get in the playoffs. You know, I, you look at every team every year. Um, I think we have a team, we believe we can, we can, we can get there, but we've got to prove it and you got to do it. And, um, you know, I, I think we're excited about our, our team right now, but, um, to ever, if you could ever get to those spots, uh, it'd be a lot of fun. And if Bruno yeah. was there, it'd be even better. Yep, yep. Wild fans absolutely would love something like that. Uh, so would the beat writers to get to cover a, a Stanley Cup final run. It's uh, it's uh, absolutely uh, one of the most fun things uh, to do as a beat writer, that's for sure. And uh, I know that Wild fans would just embrace it. Hopefully fans are in the crowd by the time that happens, uh, Darby. Um, hey, this was an absolute treat. Um, you know, I, I just uh, am so... Uh, impressed with everything that you guys do at the Hendrickson Foundation. It's been just really a privilege to to cover you also uh, with the Wild for as long as I have now. Um, I, I first got to know you really when you started doing TV. Can you believe that? That was like, <laughs> what, 13 years ago or something, right? That yep, you started. Yep, that's right. Isn't it crazy? Um, yep, because I was, I was no longer here when you came in. And um, yeah. It, and I did the TV for a couple of years. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good experience. Actually, the people that were there, uh, um, from Anthony to uh, Kevin Gorgon, um, everyone behind the scenes yeah. was awesome, and uh, I enjoyed it because you're, as you know, being on TV that you do now, like live TV is a different animal, and yeah, uh, it was fun though. You got to be prepped, you got to kind of be dialed in, and um, I remember someone like I think it was someone gave me like uh, people like to give you grief because they like to watch every little part. They said I waved my hands too much, my hair was too long. <laughs> Uh, you know, but it was fun. I, I think it was fun, the group that you worked with and it was something you hadn't done. So it was something that was fun to learn. Yeah. I, uh, it is funny TV too, with the Twitter now. It's like, I remember somebody said to me that I look like a clown because my cheeks were so red and, and uh, after I blocked him on Twitter, I went and bought makeup. So, well, <laughs> people always it? comment. Do you have a makeup kit? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. There was a great picture I once had, and I think we were at the Pepsi Center in Denver of Greenlay and Dan Tierhar, each at their respective mirrors, putting on makeup. Yeah. And I just thought it was the funniest picture. I've seen it. Picture. I've seen it. Yeah. And I will, I will <laughs> say I was doing a state tournament with Phil Housley, who obviously coaches in Arizona now, and Tom Hauser was hosting. And, um, you know, the, the reason, obviously, why people wear makeup, I mean, I don't know, but is obviously the lighting. So it, it sort <laughs> of, you know, deflects that. But um, yep. yeah, whatever they, whatever was put on my face was, uh, I don't know. Like it was, <laughs> it was bad. And uh, we would just, we couldn't stop laughing on the set, but it was, um, it's fun to, <laughs> it's fun to be able to work with a team. And I would say one of my highlights of the, um, cause you've been on the TV, but is the, I remember doing a high school hockey game down in Moorhead and um, 
you know, you just, you got some opportunity to learn and you were, uh, Anthony LaPanta was doing with him, but all the guys behind the scenes with all the camera, the, the all the workers um, uh, that I still see now when I come in Excel. Um, I love those guys. Yeah. They, they made it yeah. fun. We, I think we did karaoke one night and had a couple beers and uh, they made you look good up there and um, did everything to kind of put you in position to succeed. And I, and those guys were awesome. And I think that yeah. cool team part was was fun with fox really enjoyed it absolutely the unsung heroes are those freelance crew yeah guys. I, I every time i i show up at uh down in south florida at the arena there i mean people that i knew 15 20 years ago on fox sports south florida it's now called uh you know same same men and women that work in that truck i see them on an everyday basis they're there forever so yeah um hey darby this was an absolute treat um you know thanks especially with the game tomorrow for you to do this and um and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully at some point I'll be able to actually shake your hand again. It's, it'll be a while. I was like yeah, walking around Vegas the other day. I like saw like people from the team, like walking on the strip. And I'm like, I don't know if I can even walk by them, you know, technically Crazy. I'm not in the same group. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, we're all hoping that, um, you know, something breaks here towards the end of the year. If, 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 if they can get more fans, so we're, we're hopeful and, uh, we, we miss all the fans in Minnesota as, as, uh, and know how important they are. So we want them back, yeah. and we're hoping it's sooner than later. Yep. Well, thanks, uh, Darby. That's Darby Money Hendrickson is his, <laughs> is his, uh, is his nickname. Uh, former Minnesota Mr. Hockey, go for standout, longtime Wild assistant coach, Maple Leafs great, uh, Darby Hendrickson. And if you're listening to this podcast, check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber to The Athletic, Go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Thanks, Darby. Thanks, Michael. Have a great day.